Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Good day to you all, and thank you for joining me on our ongoing study of the Book of Acts, our podcast of studies called Unstoppable. I'm sure that you've heard someone talk about the perfect storm. That phrase has become one that we use sometimes in our vocabulary, and it refers to a critical or disastrous situation that is caused by a concurrence of factors. It's just when everything seems to go wrong. As far as I can tell, this phrase was coined as the title of a book about the crew of a fishing ship that was lost at sea in 1991. The ship was the Andrea Gale, and it was on a long commercial fishing trip when three different storms converged together on the waters off of New England, and the six-man crew all perished. The story of the tragedy became a popular movie starring George Clooney, and it was called The Perfect Storm. I remember thinking that I might see the movie, but I, I remember, it's funny how you remember little things, seeing a couple of teenagers at the mall and asking them how the movie ended. They all died, they told me. And so since I don't watch movies with sad endings, I never saw it. But the Apostle Paul, I think, could have identified with the plot of the movie because he faced a similar catastrophe in the book of Acts chapter 27. Well, today is the 39th episode of our study, Unstoppable on the Story of the Advancing Church in the book of Acts, and we're coming to this chapter, which is one of my favorites and which I think has been somewhat overlooked When I was growing up, I recall many Bible stories in Sunday school about David and Goliath and about the feeding of 5,000, and over the years I've heard many sermons about the day of Pentecost and the Ethiopian eunuch, but I have seldom heard anyone deal with this story, which is one of the most thrilling and gripping accounts in the Bible, and it's full of lessons for us, the voyage and the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul, which occupies the entirety of of Acts chapter 27. Well, this is a passage that just rivets me. Years ago, I preached a series of sermons from this chapter, and I called it Keeping Your Head Above the Water When Your Ship is Going Down. A year or so ago, I led a weekend retreat on this chapter, and I called the study Navigating Life's Tempestuous Sea. I have some ideas about wanting to do further work in Acts chapter 27. I would actually love to write a book on this Bible story because it is, again, filled with so many powerful and practical lessons for everyday life. I think that you'll see that as we get into our study today. But first, I want to tell you that we still have copies available of my book, The Strength You Need. This is actually a book that Katrina and I wrote together. I wish now that her name had been on the cover with mine because she wrote the endings to every chapter and the conclusion of the book. And it's based upon 12 great passages in the Bible that talks about how God strengthens us 
It's been widely used. I was just uh, at a university in uh, Texas, Dallas Baptist University, in which the entire faculty and staff had read this book, and I spoke to them about it. And I think it would be of encouragement to you or to somebody that you need. So check out The Strength You Need, and that along with all of our books are available wherever you buy books or at my website, robertjmorgan.com. Well, the Bible often uses storms and violent weather as a metaphor for the difficulties that we encounter in life. Jesus clearly used the stormy weather of Galilee to teach vital lessons to his disciples. The Lord spoke to Job out of a storm, and of course the prophet Jonah had a maritime disaster not far from where Paul's would occur hundreds of years later, here in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Acts 27 is the longest and the most vivid true narrative from antiquity about a shipwreck. It was written by Luke the... It was written by Luke, the author of the book of Acts, who was on board and who experienced all of the terror of it. It all occurred when Paul, who was on trial before Governor Festus in Caesarea, appealed his case to Caesar. That meant that he had to be transferred to Rome to stand trial in the judicial system of Emperor Nero. As we begin Acts 27, turn with me if you can in your Bible and look at verse 1. When it was decided that we would sell for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Atramatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So on this uh, ship, there was Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. The centurion, Julius, seemed to respect Paul as a noted political prisoner more than as a criminal, and he showed him respect. And Luke was probably there as Paul's personal physician. Some commentaries believe that Aristarchus agreed to go as Paul's slave, as it were, to be allowed on board. At this point, if you have access to a map of the Mediterranean or to Paul's journey, I think it'd be helpful. This is one of those places where if you'll just open up a map in the back of your Bible or you can find one online about the voyage of the Apostle Paul to Rome, then it helps you visualize the route. Well, verse 4 continues, From there we put out to sea again and passed the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Mara in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off the coast of or off Sidonus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone, and we moved along the coast with difficulty. <coughs> we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lacia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to shipping cargo and to our lives also. There were no large passenger ships in Paul's day. You may know that travelers 
didn't have any cruise ships back then. They had to buy tickets to travel on granary ships or on cargo ships. And the accommodations must have been pretty miserable by today's standards. And furthermore, all of this would have been happening in the fall in September or October, probably in the year of 59, when the weather was getting rough. So notice the terms that Paul used. He said, the winds were against us. We made slow headway for many days. We had difficulty. He said, the wind did not allow us to hold our course. We moved with difficulty. Much time had been lost. He used the words dangerous and disastrous. All of this for a boat that the Apostle Paul was on as he went about as best he could the will of God. Ray Stedman, in his study of this, said, Why would the apostle experience such grave difficulty from natural forces when he is obviously in the center of the will of God on the way to Rome where the Lord wants him to be? The Lord Jesus had appeared to Paul in Jerusalem and had told him that he wanted him to go to Rome and that he would take him there and that he must appear before the emperor. And Paul is not disobedient. He is moving right in accord with God's purposes. Nevertheless, the winds are contrary and everything else seems to be going wrong on this voyage. Stedman said, God who controls the winds and the waves could surely have made it easy for Paul to get to Rome. The question with which this confronts us is one which we all face. Why is it, even when we are doing what we take to be God's will for us, we sometimes have such great difficulty in accomplishing it? Well, what a great way of putting it. We do not often understand exactly what the Lord is doing. But we know that he is in the charge of the winds, just as he was in the charge of the storm that was blowing through Acts chapter 27. He is in charge of the weather patterns of our lives. He knows the answer. He knows the route. He's the navigator. He is the captain of the ship. God's plans for us are synchronized far more precisely then we realize, and with patience and perseverance, we've got every reason to believe that time and grace is on our side. So when the winds are against us and we must move with difficulty and make little progress, don't be discouraged. We have to proceed with patience and perseverance and with prayer. Well, let's continue with verses 9, nine through um, verses nine through 12. Much time had been lost Luke wrote, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. The Apostle Paul was in an awkward place here. He was a prisoner, and yet he knew from his own experience on the sea, and perhaps he had also had a special word from the Lord, that setting sail was foolhardy. He was an experienced mariner, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. He had already been shipwrecked three times. 
He was often on the seas, so he had a real sense of approaching danger. But the authorities discounted his warning. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul did not fly into a rage or scream or nag or belittle or hound or provoke the others. He simply spoke the truth and waited for everyone else to see the wisdom of his words. He didn't want to lose his leverage by immature emotions. On every occasion, we must try to be diplomatic. I'm not always as good at that as I should be, but over the years I've gotten at least a little bit better. We should try to be diplomatic and not defiant and not defensive in pressing our point. We seldom win an argument in the moment, but we can plant seeds that will prevail over time. This requires biblical wisdom and a godly growing temperament, and the Apostle Paul had that. And so even when he was not listened to in a crisis, he did not ruin his relationships. Well, let's go on with verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, and so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes. Now listen to this. They passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbar. At Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Now this to me is the best verse in the entire book. This is what I really, or in the best uh, the best verse in the entire chapter, I should say. This is what I really want us to grasp because there's a powerful illustration here in this vivid scene. Notice the phrase that they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. They had prepared for this, and so there were great cables or ropes that were prepared to be tightened around the ship so that it wouldn't be battered to pieces and somehow it could hold together. Now, the King James Version, that old King James Version says in verse 16 and 17, And running under a certain island, which is named Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. H-E-L-P-S, helps undergirding the ship. That's from the King James Version. It says that they used helps undergirding the ship. In other words, they had strong ropes or cables, which were called helps that were passed beneath the hull of the ship and secured in an effort to keep the ship from breaking apart. The ship had to be frapped. That's the word that's used here, or undergirded by passing cables or ropes underneath it and around it to hold it together. The Greek word for those cables that were holding the ship together is a nautical term, boathias, which literally means help. Now, this phrase is used only one other time in the Bible in Romans 4. So, if you're keeping track with me in your Bible, just turn over to Romans 4 and look at verses 14 through 16. Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now the word help here in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 is Boethias, the same word that is used in Acts 27 for the helps or the ropes that held the ship together. In other words, we have a high priest, a captain, and we can come to him. We can come to his throne and find grace that will undergird us and help us and hold us together when we're in a storm. This is a very powerful picture. What is it that holds us together? Well, on the ship, it was the ropes. But for you and me, it is what we gain from the throne of grace as God gives us the undergirding, the cabling that will help us to hold together. It seems to me that the promises and the power and the presence of God are akin to the ropes that the sailors passed around this vessel. The Lord isn't going to allow you to fall apart and to be shattered in the tempest. He will undergird you. He will help you with his presence. He will wrap you up in his power and his peace. He will keep you together with his undergirding, with his frapping promises. Well, let's see how it worked out. Going back to Acts 27, verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor moon appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Well, you can picture this because Luke writes so vividly. In the hold, the grain would have filled the bottom of the ship and provided ballast, and then other cargo would have been put on top of the grain, and then the tackle would have been put on top of that cargo, and probably their immediate foodstuffs would be put on that. But they began throwing everything overboard to keep them from sinking. But the typhoon was so unrelenting that they finally just gave up all hope. Even Luke, he says, we, he is writing for himself, gave up all hope of being saved. It's a terrible thing to give up hope. And yet it's also hard to keep holding on when the storms just don't end. Well, look at what happened in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Thank you for listening to the you Robert should have taken Morgan my podcast. advice not to this sell week we from Crete. Then special you would have spared you yourself this damage Polar, and loss. Who mixed but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, that's a wonderful description of faith 
What is faith? It is believing that it will happen just as God has said, despite what the circumstances would seem to indicate. Well, here you have a man who is wet and cold and maybe suffering hypothermia and exhaustion and hunger. But God sent an angel to him with a direct revelation. And there's a lesson for us in this too. Life is not always comfortable. But if the Lord does not calm the storm, we can make sure that he calms us. He gives us secret help. We have hidden resources that no one else knows about or can understand. And we even have angelic help. Paul apparently saw his angel. We don't always see ours. But we have more resources around us than we know. God knows how to care for us and how to navigate things even when we feel miserable. In his sermon on this chapter, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Paul acted like a man who believed God in a business-like way. Faith was real to him and therefore practical. Many Christians appear to hold their religion as a pious fiction, regarding the promises of God as pretty things for sentimentalism to play with, and as providence as a poetical idea. We must get out of this evil fashion and make God to be the greatest factor in our daily calculations, the chief force and face of our lives. Spurgeon said we must each one boldly act on the conviction that it will be even as he has told us. Well, that's exactly what happened in this story. Let's continue with verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. In other words, they were getting in more shallow water and closer to some kind of shore that they couldn't see. Verse 29, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul, Paul didn't miss very much, he said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Then just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And look at verse 35. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. He didn't just eat. Even in these circumstances, he paused to thank God for his food, as we should as well. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And verse 37 says, Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. As far as we know, there were only three Christians on this ship of 276 souls, and yet God's grace saved all of them because of the three. The whole ship was saved because of a godly group of about 1%. It tells us that a small minority of Christians changes the chemistry of any environment. 
Well, the story ends like this in verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. <coughs> Verse 42. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of ship, and in this way, everyone reached land safely. Well, that's the story, and as I've read and reread it and studied it and reveled in it, I've come away with some lessons, and I've mentioned most of them in the text of this episode, but let me repeat them. Sometimes, even when we're in God's perfect will, we face headwinds, delays, prolonged storms, sometimes miserable conditions. Well, we have to trust the Lord with all of that because He understands the patterns of the weather of our lives. We should speak wisely and wait for others in such times to recognize the truth of which we speak. There will never be a time when God's children cannot find His undergirding strength in a crisis because He oversees the circumstances and we can trust His providence. It will be for us just as He has said. And our witness for Him even if we are an extreme minority, has a powerful effect on the majority. It's all very nicely summed up in B.B. McKinney's wonderful hymn, Have Faith in God, He's on His Throne. Have Faith in God, He watches o'er His own. He cannot fail, He must prevail. Have Faith in God, Have Faith in God. Well, thank you for joining me on this podcast. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media, edited by Courtney Warner, music by Elijah Rowe, and this is Robert Morgan, your Bible teacher and your host, saying God be with you until we meet again.